I used to hate olives. Does anybody hate olives? Like, yeah. Does anybody love olives? Okay, so there's a mixed crowd. It's a controversial subject, so I hate to start off with such a low note, but as a kid, I would have lumped them in the category with like the things that other kids just won't eat, Brussels sprouts and, I don't know, sardines and spam. I don't know. Like, it was a list of things. I'm like, I'm not eating this. I won't even try it. I turn my nose up every time I look at it, but one day, my friend Chris Avery, a lot of you know Chris. Anybody know Chris? He's a camp manager in Washington now, but Chris was making a, a, a sandwich on a George Foreman grill because he's a genius. If you don't know Chris, he's a genius. He was making a hot ham and cheese sandwich on a George Foreman grill, and uh, we used to work together, so I walked in, it was lunchtime, I'm like, what you eating? He's like, a sandwich, I made you one. I'm like, whoa, cool, and I took a bite, and it was delicious, and there was this punch of flavor inside that I didn't understand, this extra salty, and then like this, I don't know, umame thing going on, I don't know what that is, and I'm just like, what is this? The dude had put green olives on a hot ham and cheese sandwich. Who does that? Do anyone, does y'all do that? I don't, I don't, okay, I see a couple people. I literally did not know that people did that. I mean, this was like almost, this is almost 20 years ago. But I, I tasted it, and it was amazing. I'm like, what is this? And he's like, it's olives. I'm like, ooh, I don't like olives. And I was like, wait. I learned a valuable lesson that day. I learned when that day that I accidentally ate a hot ham and cheese sandwich with olives on it. This is what I learned. And I want you to never forget this, okay? You can change your mind about things. That's the lesson I learned. I thought I didn't like olives. I don't know why I thought that, but it turns out I do. And I also learned that green olives are like the gateway olive. Um, so if you start on green olives, it's not long before you're drifting into the black olive category. And now I'm like, they're on my pizza. I ate them whole out of the jar. Like I'll just, my kids are like, that's nasty. Olives are gross. I'm like, you wait. I'm making you a sandwich. Um, you can change your mind about things. We're in this teaching series. This is actually the last week of uh, winning the war in your mind. And the whole premise, this is a, it's just laced all throughout scripture, is this, that how you think impacts your life. It impacts how you live. The way you process and think about things impacts your life. And we've seen truth all throughout the Bible that it's one of the biggest spiritual battles in our life is the stuff that goes on between these two ears of mine. What I'm thinking about, what I'm doubting, what I'm fearing. The first week we talked about something we called strongholds. And a stronghold is a lie that you build in your mind. It's planted in some way. You might put it there. Someone else might put it there. It might be literally from a, an evil force in this world. I don't know. But it gets in your mind. And it's a lie that you begin to believe. And when you begin to believe that lie, it's called a stronghold because a stronghold is like a fortress, you know, like a, 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 a military encampment. And it won't let you out. It will hold you captive. It will hold you prisoner. It will shut you down. It's a stronghold. You're not good enough. You'll never be happy. You're stupid. You're ugly. You can never get through this struggle. You'll never overcome this sin. You'll never amount to anything. These are these things. And there's lots of other ones. They're not all, they're not all quite so negative. Some of them just are, are little things like, it's okay to watch that. It's okay to do that. These little lies that we believe. They build strongholds in our life, and we learn this amazing passage. If you've got a Bible this morning, we're going to be actually, normally I'll pick a big passage and we'll kind of jump, like dig into that one. Today we're going to be in several, and I want you to get a chance to at least jot down all of them. My challenge for us this year was that you all become note takers, okay? I know that's a high bar for a lot of people, but I want to encourage you to write things down, to bring your Bible to church, to get out a piece of paper and a pen, and to remember these things. And so the first place we're going to be today is in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. We've already studied this twice, so forgive me if we go through it kind of quick. But this was from week one, The Strongholds, 2 Corinthians, a book by, written by the Apostle Paul, chapter 10, verse 3. He says, for though we live in the world, 
We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. That's supernatural. Remember when we studied it, we said that the literal Greek there says God abilities, God power. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So if you missed that lesson, it's a good one. I I encourage you to go back and catch it on our podcast or on our YouTube page. And here's a huge point through this whole series is that there's nothing that you can really do at all about these thoughts without the grace and power of Jesus without his Holy Spirit in our life. And so sometimes we want to just manhandle our thoughts and our temptations and our fears and all these things, and we want I can do this. I can be strong enough. But until we are willing to accept God's forgiveness and his grace and lean into his presence in our life, we're going to struggle with that. And so that's a big point. So the second week, we dug a little bit deeper into that mental process, and we talked about what does it look like to renew my mind. If my mind is full of strongholds or things that maybe don't honor God or all kinds of things, like how do I cleanse that? How do I wash that out? And we started in Romans chapter 12, but then we ended up landing in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And if you remember, last week's challenge to take home was to memorize Philippians 4, verse 8. And I was actually really pumped. Two or three of you actually texted me this week and said, hey, I want you to know I'm memorizing Philippians 4, 8. And, uh, and one person actually called me to talk about it. And so that was really cool. And I did too. I want you to know I tried it. Uh, it's one I had memorized in the past. I needed to refresh myself on. The other challenge was what? Do you remember? Write it down every day. Because there's a connection between what we write and what we think. Uh, I got like four out of six days. So that's not bad. So I tried really hard. My daughter on Monday was like, it was bedtime. I'm about to fall asleep. She said, Dad, did you write down your scripture? I was like, oh, no, I did. She's like, I did. I'm like, well, good. Good for you. I'll do it tomorrow. Um, I'm proud of her. It was really cool. But this is Philippians 4.8 if you memorized it. Because this is what we do when we're renewing our mind. We have to set our minds on other things. We can't just like have nothing in our brains. So what are we setting our minds on? So he says this. This is Philippians 4 verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, say it with me, what? Think about such things because we fill our minds with other things all the time. And it drags us down and it builds strongholds and it makes it hard. Um, there's a war for your soul. It's happening every day. And one of the hardest battlefields is what happens between your two ears. Because you can actually control a lot of the stuff on the outside a little bit. You can make it look good. You can paint it. You can make it seem pretty. But the stuff that happens in your mind is secret. And it's hard to wrestle with that. Today I want to take one last look at this idea. And um, I kind of came to a realization about this last idea. So if a stronghold is a life, is a lie... If a stronghold is a lie that I'm believing that brings me down, what about the true things in my life that are also bringing me down? Aren't there real life true things that are happening but that also bring us down? The topic I want to talk about today uh, is broad and it's something that maybe is really a buzz phrase today, but I want to talk about anxiety. Anxiety is, is one of the biggest mental plagues in our world today. It's become a buzz phrase. Uh, If you talk to our great-grandparents, they would not understand the word anxiety the way that we do. They'd be like, what, you mean when you get a little nervous? (laughs) No, but today it's like a full-on clinically diagnosable disorder. It's something that really drags people down. And so it's a good thing. It's a real thing. God 
God designed us to see something and be, you know, suspicious of it if it's not healthy for us. Like, that's good. And that's that fight or flight whole thing. And it's like, and so part of anxiety is that. I mean, it's good. It's good to see things and be like, I don't like that. But anxiety disorder takes place when it, it disables our daily life. It overwhelms us to the point that we can't function or that we can't make decisions. Anxiety disorder uh, actually is it's got like, like probably a dozen subcategories that you hear about. Panic disorder, social, disor- social anxiety, a generalized anxiety, agoraphobia is one. Two that we just throw around all the time, like, I got this, I got that. Like, I got OCD, I'm just OCD, because I don't like it when chairs aren't straight. Or I got PTSD, because one time, you know, I had a bad thing happen. But like, then there's like real OCD, real PTSD, and guess what they are? They're under the umbrella of an anxiety disorder. These are things that just because overwhelmingly this life is happening and I just can't deal with it like maybe a lot of people deal with it. And it affects people of all ages. Anxiety disorder, uh, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, yes, that's a real thing. They keep up with statistics and they have a lot of good things. They have a website. Uh, The most common mental health issue in the United States is anxiety disorder. Check this out. 40 million Americans deal with serious anxiety. That's almost 20% of the adult population. And then almost 10% of children wrestle with it. And so that means that even if it's not something that you really wrestle with a lot, you are probably close to someone who does. And so I hope that what we talk about today is both good for you, but also for someone in your life that you can speak into. I don't have to tell you about it. You hear about it all the time. I'm personally a little bit to the point where I'm like, man, talking about it so much might actually be making it worse, but it's still happening. There are a lot of good ways we can wrestle with it. Uh, one way that we can deal with it is therapy. I've spent some time in therapy for a number of things. I recommend it. It's, it's good. Uh, exercise, getting outside, being in sunshine, changing our diet. Like the chemical things that happen in our body do totally affect that. In some cases, medication is super helpful for a lot of people. I'm not here to make any commentary on any of those methods. I have employed most of them. I think that they're good. But the question I have is, how do we deal with this in our spiritual life? How do we attack anxiety, and you can lump into that a lot of other different things we wrestle with, depression and just severe worry and stress and all these things. How do we deal with our mental health in a spiritual way? And how do I bring God into this? You remember we read a minute ago, 2 Corinthians 10. I want to look at 4 through 5 again. This is kind of an abbreviated version. Remember, it says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So in our mental health, we can also bring in a divine component. In fact, I would say this should be the first thing we bring in if we're healthy enough to do that. Or if our friends are healthy enough to to put us in a position where we can. Yes, all those other measures are necessary many times. But when do I go to God and how do I lean on him? Because look at the second half of this. It says, we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. Even our anxious thoughts, even our worried thoughts, even our depressed thoughts, even those other things that drag us down. So today, um, like I said, we're kind of taking a different approach to this study. uh, And I want to look at several different places throughout the Bible where we see this principle at work. And it's kind of cool. It's one of those really cool places where science and scripture totally align, which shouldn't surprise us because science is something God, like, created. So it should really work well together. And this is an idea I want to put in our heads today, something that we can work on. Remember my olives and I decided I could change my mind? There's a tool I want to give you. It's called reframing your thoughts. 
If you've spent any time in counseling, you've learned some level of this, hopefully. It's part of something that's called cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy. It's the idea of replacing negative thoughts with more helpful thoughts. And you can hopefully see why that's advantageous. Reframing is a very common skill that people can use. But we see it all throughout the Bible. Some of the biggest uh, figures in Scripture use reframing. And I don't know that we would traditionally look at Scripture through that lens and say, like, that's what he's doing. But it totally is. For example, if you want to look at a place in Scripture, we're going to look uh, in Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, chapter 50. Let me summarize the story, but this is the story of Joseph. Are you familiar with Joseph? If anybody had it rough, it was this guy Joseph, okay, because his brothers kind of hated him. They kidnapped him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He gets shipped off to Egypt which is not his hometown, okay? He goes off to Egypt, a different country. He becomes uh, the slave in the household of a rich guy. And in the process, he's wrongfully accused of a crime. He's thrown into prison and left for dead. That sounds like the makings of a good Hallmark special. Like, that's like, that's a terrible life. Like, what's going on? And in the midst of that, Joseph has this amazing opportunity. He's faithful to God throughout, which is crazy when you read his story. But he has this amazing opportunity to uh, interact with the pharaoh of Egypt, the king. And probably at the time, the most powerful individual on the planet. There's a food crisis. And because of some, uh, some wisdom that Joseph has, and primarily because of some dreams that God allowed him to interpret, that's a really cool story. Joseph steps in and he's able to help the, the pharaoh just missed the whole food crisis and thousands and thousands of people's lives are saved, okay? What a crazy story. Talk about a roller coaster. And if anybody has a right to sit in the dungeon where he was sitting or in the slave quarters where he was sitting or at the bottom of the pit he was sitting in at any point in his life and say, God, why have you left me? Why is life so terrible? Why me? Why me? Why me? Or even to be so mad at his brothers that he hated them for the rest of his life. After all, it was their fault that all this happened. He was just living his own happy life. He was the favored son of a rich guy. Like theoretically, he should have a killer posh life. So if anybody has a right to be super upset about their life, it's Joseph. Yet after all this happens, he does get a chance to reconcile with his brothers. And his brothers feel super bad about selling him into slavery, which you should, kids. Don't sell your siblings into slavery. It's very bad. And they're like, how could you ever forgive us? You know, please don't kill us. He, ends, he actually ends up in a really powerful position. And in Genesis 50, 19 through 21, we see him reframing the situation. Listen to this. It says, but Joseph said to them, he's talking to his brothers who sold him into slavery. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Listen, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. That is classic reframing. Who in their right mind is going to look at everything that happened in Joseph's life and be like, no, it's all gravy, baby. It's cool. God used this for good. I mean, he had to wait years, years to find out where that would end. And let's be honest, not everyone's life story ends with the happy ending. It's reframing. It's saying, what can I do in my life to refocus this on what God might have had going on in the background? We're talking about anxiety, but really you could use this for any of the battles that are happening in your life. Just like the last two weeks, a lot of these can be applied to a lot of different things going on in your head. Joseph's story shows us that it can take a while. Uh, let's take a look at another story, the Apostle Paul. We've talked a lot about the Apostle Paul during this series. I've called him a mental warrior. Most of what we have in Scripture that teaches us how to manage our thoughts, I think, don't quote me on this, but it seems like 
most of them seem to be written by Paul. And so he's been through it. We read from Romans 7 that first week when he's just on this roller coaster of mental thoughts and he can't decide how he wants to live his life and he can't seem to do the things he wants to do and he keeps doing the things he doesn't want to do and it's like, ah! And we understood Paul. And so we find Paul at one point in his life. It's not going to be that far off from Joseph. He's in prison. He's been arrested for preaching about Jesus, but here's the thing. He was actually wrongfully accused. He was jumped by a bunch of thugs and taken off to prison. He was actually forgotten in jail for a little bit of a time, and he goes through this trial, and thing after thing after thing after thing happens, and he finds himself locked up in Rome under house arrest. Now, before you think house arrest is something that everybody would want to sign up for, no type of arrest is fun, okay? The guy has constant surveillance, and he doesn't have his freedoms, and he doesn't have the ability to uh, go out and do whatever he wants to do. And from this position, he's not able to do the job that he set out to do as a missionary to start churches and spread the word about Jesus. Yet somehow while he's in prison, he finds the time and the wherewithal to write all kinds of letters to people. We have at least four of them in our possession, in your Bibles today. We call them the prison letters, the prison epistles. In fact, I think in a couple weeks, uh, the adult Sunday school class that meets at 9 o'clock is going to start studying through the prison letters. He wrote the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Don't miss the fact that Philippians is one of those books. And Philippians is where we've got most of our content for this series. Paul understood the struggle and he understood the concept to reframe his situation. Particularly Philippians is crazy. Because he writes this from prison, but people call it, they say the theme of Philippians is joy. Something like 14 times in the book of Philippians. He talks about joy or rejoicing or being joyful or being glad. How are you so happy, Paul? Shouldn't you be mad at the world? Shouldn't you be upset at your guards? It's reframing. Because instead of letting the war in his mind hold him captive, he takes a look at the reality that he's facing. These aren't lies. He really is in prison. He really is eventually facing a potential execution. Like he really is going through this stuff. How does he frame it? Look, he talks about it in the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians. If you've got your Bibles up and flip over, Philippians chapter 1, the very beginning, he actually kind of kicks the book off with this, uh, verse 12, and I'll have it on the screen behind me. I forgot to invite you. If you need a Bible, we've got Bibles that you can have by the back door over here. So if you need one uh, today or to take home with you, we've got them that you can have. But feel free to look it up on your phone also or behind me. This is him reframing the situation. Philippians 1.12 says, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, time out. You guys remember what's happened to him? I just told you all about it. Okay. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, the message of Jesus. Because as a result, it's become clear throughout the entire palace guard that, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Okay, so check this out. Paul finds himself this, there was a time in Paul's life where he was like in line to be maybe the greatest Jewish teacher that there was at the time. He steps away from that to follow this Jesus guy and all of his peers turn their back on him and like you're a heretic and that's why he's in so much trouble. Uh, that's why they jumped him in the first place. And so he, he goes from this position of, uh, of authority in a far off land to somewhere else. He's in Rome now. He's a Roman. These are Greek speaking people. These are not Jewish people. They're not people that are Christian. He has no influence. But you know what he's excited about? Because I'm in prison, the whole palace guard knows about me, and they know about Jesus. One of Paul's ambition, if you read through some of his letters, I think, in, in Acts, uh, was that maybe one day he would get a chance to get an audience with Caesar. Because he was like, what, what greater opportunity could I have to talk about Jesus? The most powerful man in the world. I could do that. Verse 14. And because of my chains, 
most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So there was always this kind of fear that uh, the opposition would, would put you down. Christianity was kind of a fringe faith at the time. The Jews didn't like them. The Greeks didn't care much for them. It was difficult. But because of Paul's imprisonment, the other brothers and sisters are like, yeah, I can do this too. Guys, let's do it the way Paul's doing it. He sees this assault on his life, the wrongful imprisonment, the, all this as a good thing. What does it take for us to think that way? It's reframing. It's intentional. In fact, in the same letter is where we get the most direct teaching on anxiety that I think we have in the New Testament. Other than Jesus talking about don't worry for, uh, you know, God's got you. That's in Matthew 6. The most direct teaching on anxiety might come from Paul in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says this. So don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your hearts and your minds. If you've wrestled with mental health, if you've wrestled with just a dreary day, had something bad happen. Isn't that what you want? Someone guarding my heart and my mind. Help me to calm down. Help me to see the good in this. And that phrase, guard your heart, guard your mind, that language is a military language, like a, like a sentry standing guard by a doorway. What does that look like in our life? Offer your, uh, through, let's see, let me say it again. By, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. How do we fight our anxiety and our fears and our doubts and all those things? Um, I was in a meeting last week where I learned a great phrase. Uh, a bunch of area pastors, uh, we get together maybe once a month for just some coffee and some breakfast and to hang out. Uh, props to my buddy Chris Wilson from Restoration Church. Some of y'all might know him. Uh, he's a church planter like me, and their church is younger than our church is. And so um, I've really gotten a lot of life out of conversations with him. And uh, he was talking about this, um, this idea. We, actually, we were talking about something different. The question is, how do, how do you know when God's at work? How do you know when God's at work? It's easy to like miss that. Because is it a big thing? Is it the small things? And he said this phrase that I want you to remember. We need to pray for the miracle. We need to look for the mercies. Learn to pray for the miracle. Learn to look for the mercy. What does that mean? A lot of times uh, when we pray, if you pray, what we're praying for is the home run, the slam dunk. You know, a miracle. <laughs> Something's not a certain way. And we want it to be a different way. We want supernatural intervention from God to just change that scenario. Lord, please take away this sickness that me or my family member or my friend's dealing with. Lord, please give me a new job. Please, I need a new job today. Lord, fix my broken marriage. It's a mess. This or that had happened. It's a mess. Lord, please have someone send me a check for $40,000. Like, that would be so great, right? And we want this supernatural intervention, and God's cool with that. He's like, look, ask anything of me. That's fine. I'm your father. I love you. Ask anything. And we look for that, and often those things don't happen. Sometimes they do. God shows up with some amazing things. I've got stories I can't explain. I'm like, dude, I prayed about this, and this thing happened, and it wasn't going to happen. And the only way to explain this is, but God took care of it. But for many of us, when it doesn't happen the way we prayed for it, it actually leads to fear, anxiety, 
worry, doubt, stress. Some of our mental stress comes from the fact that we pray for things and they don't go the way that we hope that they would. Are you with me? Like, this is a real thing. That's why we need to pray for the miracle. Pray for the miracle. But look for the mercy. What does that mean? Let me show you what that looks like. I'm not sure if this person's going to get better. They're sick. I've been praying for them to get better. I'm not sure if they will, Lord, please. But what's the mercy that's already happening? It might be true, thank you, Lord, that we finally found a good doctor who can look at this and help us get closer. Or maybe, thank you, Lord, that we've had friends and family who have rallied around us at this time and that have brought us meals and that have given me a call. Thank you, Lord, that it maybe it's, it's made me really sick, but actually it's given me more time at home with my family. And that's a blessing. Each of those things are a blessing. They're a mercy. God's mercies are ever-present. He never leaves us. But sometimes when we're looking for his movement, we're asking ourselves, where's the big thing? Where's the boulder that you moved? He's like, you don't need a boulder. <laughs> I've given you all these pebbles. It's all you need. In every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What are the mercies Look for them and thank God for them. In the midst of the storm, continue to pray for the mercy, but I'm look, I'm for the miracle, but then look back and say, what are the things that are happening? What's the grace that's been given? What's the mercy? What can I be thankful for? I look again at the book of Lamentations. This is in the Old Testament. You might have a hard time finding it. The book of Lamentations, we're in chapter three. The book of Lamentations, if you didn't, couldn't tell by the title, it's a sad book. It's about grief and sorrow and lament. And the nation of Israel is going through a hard time because they're losing their identity. (laughs) That's rough. But even in the Lamentations, whoever wrote this passage in Lamentations 3, verse 22, they say this, they reframe it, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. The ESV says his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. These guys are literally being attacked from all sides by every big power in in the world. But somebody sat down and wrote down like, Lord, thank you. I'm still alive. (laughs) We're not being consumed. Even in the midst of lament, grief, and sorrow, we can look for the mercies. Pray for the miracle. Look for the mercies. And with thanksgiving, offer your request to God. He's got you. He's shown you. God's done some incredible things. He's never promised everybody a miracle. But he has promised that his mercies never end. And you can lean on that. Pray for a miracle, look for the mercy. That's the biblical way of reframing. And it's how we win this war in our mind. It's a discipline that may take years to master, but it only takes a moment to give it a try. It's like that day when I walked to Chris's office and he was making sandwiches, and I did not know that I was about to like olives. <laughs> but I tried it. It was, it was worth, now here's the thing. This, we're not talking about sandwiches here. You're still gonna be 50-50 on olives today. <laughs> but every one of you are invited to the mercies of God. Every one of you. Every single one are promised that God's goodness is for you. We just have to learn to look for it. And it's the discipline of reframing. I, I love to take a second to give us a challenge every week that we can take home and work on and um, there's been some good ones this week, this series, and so I hope that maybe you're, uh, you're keeping up with those, but this is a good one that will, you can do with your family if you live with a group of people, your roommate, maybe you need to get on the phone with somebody that you're close to, or maybe you can invite a coworker to do it with you. Th- this is, this is the challenge this week, guys. Take time each day this week 
to name the mercies in your life. There's an old song called Count Your Blessings. Name them one by one. See what the Lord has done, are the lyrics. Sometimes it's easier to see God's presence when we look back. God, what have you brought me through? How did you get me here? You'll see the scars. You'll see the bruises. You'll see the bloody noses. That's all part of your story. It's true. That's why I said this part, like, if the strongholds are the lies that you're believing, that's one part. But this is true things. Real things are happening. But as I look back, what are the mercies? Offer them as thanksgiving to God. And, and that is the biblical way to spiritually manage the anxiety in your mind. Do you need to go on a walk? Do you need to lift weights? Do you need to change your diet? Do you maybe need to get on medication and get some therapy? Maybe, maybe so, maybe so. But start by doing your best to put your heart and your mind towards the God who loves you. This past week I had a moment like this. Um, I won't go into a lot of details because you guys get it. You all have bills, you all have responsibilities, right? One of our big deals right now as a church is that we bought a building, took a big loan out on it. If you were here October, November, you were here when we did the Above and Beyond initiative and we talked about how we all might, you know, join together and, and take care of that and, and, and enter into a good place. Um, but also, uh, we still work on a budget, right? So our finance team met this week and, and we were looking at our budget and uh, it was like, whew, that's tight. Buckle up. <laughs> That's tight. We got a lot of things. Last year, guys, we, we hired a, a full-time youth minister. We bought a building. We also gave away more money in generosity than we've ever given away as a church. And we celebrated that in December. But a lot of times, I round the corner into January going, okay, but what about this year? <laughs> but guys, I've been in church planting for 12 years now. Our churches will be 10 in uh, September. And if there's anything I've seen is that God can see us through tight times. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. And his mercies are new every morning. And we can always just get to the next thing. Like, he's going to be there for us. That's what, what's the worst possible scenario? We sell our building and make a ton of money because it's worth money because the real estate's ridiculously high, right? What's the worst, that's the worst case scenario? Okay. All right. But I'm sitting there and I'm driving down the street after we saw our budget last week and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm, look, y'all know I don't like to talk about our church's money stuff, but I'm telling you, this is a burden on me and a lot of our leaders. Like, is this, was this wise? Did we do all the right things? And I rolled by our building, because that's where I was going, and I looked up, and I saw some kids walking down the street. <laughs> they live in the neighborhood, and I was like, that's right. We're doing this because we want to be with people. And we, we followed all the wisdom, and we prayed about it, and we took months to make this decision, and everybody's behind us, and it's, it's going to be okay. What are the mercies? That right now there's electricians putting it together in the building. That on Tuesday I got to hang out with our contractor and my good friend Maria and we built a sound booth together. That we had money in the bank to pay for the wood. A ton of volunteers have showed up at the church the last two weekends on a Saturday giving their day off at 8 a.m. Last weekend it was cold, amen? And we were out there digging a trench and pouring mulch and putting this thing together. And we walked away. And if you saw it on Facebook last night, get on there. If you haven't seen it, it's on Instagram too. The side bed of the building is finished and it was beautiful. And those are mercies. And that every single day, I was there one day this week, and a guy from across the street that I've been able, some of you have met him, uh, he ran across the street because he's going through kind of a crisis in his life. And I got to meet him about six months ago, and he found out that was a friend, that he could talk to me. He said, dude, I'm so glad you're here. I needed to talk. And I stood with him in the parking lot, and we prayed together. You pray for the miracle, but you look for the mercies. Because God is with you every single day. He's got the plan. He's got the big picture. 
and he can help you win the war in your mind. Let me pray for us this morning.